Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, April 18, 2021. It focuses on the parables Jesus tells, which encourage spreading the good news far and wide. The message to all who will listen is gospel spreading, not judging, is the believer's job. Now here is Pastor Mike Neifert. You ready to hear God's word? Good. I'm glad to hear that. Woohoo. All right, let's pray together. God, thank you for your goodness and mercy toward us and that you are right here with us. And I was reminded this week that the beginning of Matthew that when Joseph was told about Jesus, and decided to marry Mary, even though the circumstances were crazy, that Matthew reminded us that, it, that the child would be Emmanuel, God with us. And so we know that you're here, and we trust that you are going to speak. And thanks for, for, uh, for saving us and giving us your word and your spirit to guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. So years ago... When our daughters were young, I used to tell stories about three adventurous chickens named Pollo Gato, Coco Van, and Chicken Eatson. The names all had meanings which were likely lost on the girls at the time, but they made me smile. Now, the first one, the first name was from a Cosby Show episode in which Bill Cosby's character, Heathcliff Huxtable, was trying to avoid spending time with this unlikable woman. I don't remember whether she was related to him or just a friend of his wife, Claire, or what, but when this woman arrived at the Huxtable residence, Cliff, coat already in hand, excused himself. As he reached for the doorknob, he claimed that he had a previously scheduled lunch engagement with a friend and needed to go. When asked the name of the restaurant, Dr. Huxtable, grasping at straws, made up a name, Casa del Pollo Gato. The woman, skeptical of his words, gave him a puzzled look. House of the chicken cat? She asked, to which Mr. Cosby's character deftly replied, that explains why nobody ever shows up. And he hurried out the door. The second name is simply the name of a French stew. It's chicken cooked in wine. Coco van means rooster in wine. I never have eaten this dish before. I just knew that it had some kind of chicken connection, so... I used it. The final bird's name, Chicken Eatson, was a play on a famous archaeological site in the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. Chicken Itza is a Mayan site with this pyramid-shaped temple at its center. You've probably seen pictures of its stepped sides, and maybe you've seen it. I don't know. The site's name sounded like a chicken, so I used it. Back to the stories, I would tell. This trio of feathered friends would trek all over the globe, chasing after and getting into fights with their arch enemy, Chicken Atslan, which I don't have any idea where I came up with that name. So anyway, the tales that I spun were, as you may suspect, a bit on the ridiculous side. Both because they're about chickens and because I was telling them. And they were constantly punctuated with loud exclamations of the word, suddenly! I did this for dramatic effect and to make my kids jumped, and it worked every single time. I have not told any Pollo Gato, Coco Van, and Chicken Eats and stories for several years, but for a period of time, they were oft requested in our household. 
I would be minding my own business on a Tuesday evening when suddenly, yeah, a few of you jumped, my children would ask for another installment. They were never written down. They were just live, in person. They're lost to eternity. But anyway, though the parables that Jesus tells in Matthew 13, that was a quick segue, wasn't it? They lack the heart-stopping shouts of suddenly. Didn't want to make anybody have any problems again. They lack that heart-stopping shout, but they must have grabbed the attention of those who heard them directly from Jesus' lips. His short stories likely both intrigued and perplexed their original hearers. Some, I'm sure, got his drift, while others were left mentally and spiritually adrift. He had to explain some of them to the twelve. Matthew wrote his private interpretations down, so we know, too, what Jesus intended to say in a couple of instances. The first of these intriguing anecdotes begins at verse 1 in chapter 13. We're going to read it along with the things that Jesus said to his disciples following its telling. So to catch this, we're going to read verses 1 through 17. Here's what we have from Matthew 13, 1 through 17. That same day, whatever happened in chapter 12 is still continuing. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So we're going to get to the meaning of this seed-scattering parable in just a second. Jesus will tell us what it means starting at verse 18. But first, I want to tackle the disciples' post-parable question and talk about all the hearing and not understanding prophecy stuff that Jesus gives them in response. The words quoted from Isaiah raise as many questions as they answer. Perhaps they raise more questions than the answer. First, the disciples' question. It's there in verse 10. Jesus' closest friends want to know, why do you speak to the people in parables? Legitimate question, right? Parables, if they're not explained, can lead to confusion. Straightforward teaching works much better if you want people to get what you're saying. And Jesus had been plenty direct in the past. We spent 
weeks and weeks and weeks on chapters 5 through 7 where Jesus was pretty direct, told them what the kingdom was going to be like in the Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters, very direct. So why now this change in the way he's doing things? Why does he switch things up? What he was doing was working. People were looking and saying, that's the kingdom I want to be a part of. They were following after him. He had crowds everywhere he went. And now he's speaking to them out on this lake. He's, he's speaking to them in these stories that could be a little bit confusing. So his disciples say, why parables? How does Jesus answer? He tells his traveling buddies that he's aiming to throw people off the scent of the kingdom. He's making sure that some of them don't get it. What? Doesn't Jesus want everybody to believe? Isn't his aim to draw all people into the kingdom? We want to say yes, of course he does, but his words give us pause. They seem to imply the opposite. Now, I'm telling you, we're not going to solve this problem because people have been arguing about this for centuries, millennia, since Jesus left. Over the centuries, men and women have argued this way and that about God's sovereignty, about predestination of the saved and the lost, and about free will or determinism. Both sides of these arguments have pointed to passages in the Bible which seem to support their views, and both sides ignore other sections of Scripture which make their presuppositions a little shakier than they'd like to admit. Both those things are there. Now, I tend, I'm telling you, I'm just giving you up front, I tend to believe that we have free will and we have a choice when it comes to the subject of salvation. I think that you and I get to decide if we're going to submit to God as our king and put faith in Jesus Christ. I have friends and even a few family members who strongly disagree with me. They think the Bible reveals a God who decided who would be in and who would be out from the very beginning of time and even before creation. Do I think these friends and family members are idiots? Not at all. I know them to be kind, thoughtful people who value the Bible and want to live for God in the power of the Spirit. We see things differently, but we are all kingdom citizens. It's passages like this one that Jesus quotes from Isaiah, which must, if I'm going to be intellectually honest, make me examine my ideas. This short conversation seems to point us toward the God-decides side of things. It looks like Jesus and God through Isaiah are saying they'd get it if they had the info, so I'm going to withhold the info because I don't want them to get it. As uncomfortable as that view of God makes me, I have to deal with it, wrestle with it. He did choose Abraham out of all the men of his day to be a man who would bring God's blessing to all peoples. He did choose the nation which comes from Abraham's line to be his chosen people. He chose David to be the first in the line of the one who would come, the promised Messiah. God makes choices to bless and curse all the time in the Bible. He has the right to do so because he's God and his knowledge is complete. He can make right choices every single time. He does make right choices every time. If he chooses who will be saved and who will be damned, his sorting out of who's in and who's out is going to be perfect. I will have no argument with him if I'm wrong. Who am I to instruct or correct God? So what do we do with what we've read here in Matthew 13 about opened and closed ears and opened and closed eyes? We accept at least the fact that in this moment, Jesus is opening the eyes of his followers so that they can follow, and he's closing the ears of others so that they don't get it. 
Did some who hear Jesus' voice coming to them over the water that day miss the message that day, but sometime later believe on him? I can imagine that some of them had a change of heart, just as the priests believed sometime after Jesus' resurrection. But in the end, only God knows the eternal destiny of those who heard this story of the seed and the sower first. Now, I know I haven't dealt with this issue in the most satisfying way for those who would like clear-cut answers, but like I said, they've been arguing about, we've been arguing about this for centuries, and we're not going to come to the bottom of it. I think that there's a tension in the Bible which urges us to believe and to pray for those who have not yet believed, while knowing that God is in charge of much more than we imagine. All right. So now we're ready to talk about the meaning of the parable, and I intentionally didn't read that until now. So let's go ahead and read. We're in Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 through 23. I encourage you to follow along as I read. Jesus is talking to his disciples in the boat, we think, at this point. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So what's the story about? It's about people's response to the good news. It's about the indiscriminate spreading of the good news. It's about the devil's role in disbelief. It's about persecution and distraction and fruit bearing and all that stuff. Clearly the kind of soil, if you're reading this and hearing Jesus, the kind of soil that you want to be associated with is the good soil. That's clear enough. The other kinds of soil, they're pretty worthless. Nothing comes of them. The seed doesn't produce anything in them. Only the good soil allows the seed to produce a crop. So who are those whom the good soil represents? Those who hear the message of the kingdom and understand it. Those who get it, those who believe in Jesus and submit obediently to his rule and follow him wherever he leads, doing his will as it is revealed to them in the Bible in the, in the moment by the Spirit. Good soil folks put Jesus above all things and they follow after him as hard as they can, right on his heels. If your life with Jesus has gone beyond a prayer prayed once, if you are obediently seeking God daily, ask God to produce his fruit in you and through you. Ask him to change the hearts also of your friends who seem to be hardened toward God or waning in interest or far too distracted to follow and produce. Just pray for them that their soil might be made good. I think that's a fair enough application, don't you? Enough of this first parable. Let's move on to another. And we're not covering all of them. You just don't have time to cover every single one. I'm kind of pulling in those that have the same theme. So let's move on to this uh, next parable. The next one in line is the parable of the weeds. And it's found in verses 24 through 30. This one is interpreted as well, though that comes a few verses later. So we're going to read both 
in succession. We'll start with Jesus' story, then move on to his explanation. His story begins in chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. He's talking to the crowd again. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? The enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, we're going to skip down to verses 36 to 43. It's in this set of verses that we find Jesus' revelation of the meaning behind this story's images. Verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So this story opens up truth to us that we wouldn't know if it wasn't given to us. It speaks of the judgment to come and gives us guidance for how we're to live today in light of that, how we're to treat people who reject Jesus. First things first, Jesus makes it plain enough that things will get sorted out in the end. We don't have to do any kind of sorting right now. You and I, we don't have to go around, that person's in, that person's out. We don't have to do that. We can live in this world without judging others because we know that God in the end is going to sort things out at the end of the age. You remember from our discussions on the Sermon on the Mount, don't you, that judging others, not my job, not your job. That's God's job. You recall Jesus' warnings? He says, in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's Matthew 7, verse 2. So you don't have to make the call whether someone's a kingdom girl or a hellboy. You get to live for God and pray for your enemies and point people toward the good news. And as we said earlier, praying that their hearts would be made good so that it becomes good soil. You get to talk with God about your sinful ways and ask him to free you from the power that they hold over you and pray for the same for others. In this world, you're going to be rubbing shoulders with the blessed and the damned all the time. But you're not assigned the task of determining which you're sitting across from at the lunch counter. How can you possibly know? You don't have God's omniscience. You know so little. You can see what people are wearing. You can kind of watch them walk down the street. You might even recognize the limp that your close friend has from afar. But you know so little. You look at outward behavior and think yet you've got it all figured out. That's a sinner for you. Stop it. 
the person you're putting down in your tight circle of godly friends, if you have little godly gossip, there's no such thing, but you know, your little gossip corner, the guy who's clearly headed for hell might next week hear the good news and respond positively. Maybe he's already heard it and the devil's trying to snatch that good news away from him so that he won't believe. And if you come into his life all a judgy and all that kind of stuff like the Pharisees, you might just push that person away as the Spirit's trying to pull him in. So stop it. Not that any of you are doing that. I'm talking to people in New Jersey, just in case. (laughs) If I ever move to New Jersey, I'm in trouble. Are you on board with this? I mean, really, are you on board with this? Ready to follow, ready to obey, ready to leave the judging to God. In the world, there's all sorts of people. We don't have to determine who's going to heaven and to hell. We just keep loving them and keep spreading the good news. All right, let's read another of Jesus' tales. It seems this one was spoken only to the disciples. You remember from the last set of verses that it said that he had gone inside, and when he got, went inside, he explained that parable of the weeds. Now he's still inside, so the crowds are not all around listening in to find out what's going on. They're not listening to what Jesus says. So hear what his words to his disciples are. The audience is important in this case, I think. So let's hear what he says to his disciples. This is another parable that he told Matthew 13, 47 to 50. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sounds like the story we just heard doesn't it? Sounds like the same thing. It sounds almost exactly like the parable of the weeds with its good seed and bad. This one is just about good fish and bad fish. In the weed stories, things get sorted out. In the fish story, same thing. Why is Jesus repeating himself? What if he's not? What if the truth being portrayed by this narrative is just slightly different than the other? We don't have this nice, neat explanation from Jesus after this one like we did with the two moral tales that we've talked about already. We're left to our own devices to discern what Jesus is trying to say. As Matt Whitman loves to say, people much smarter than I have thought a great deal about this, and they have some ideas. So in a number of episodes, which I listened to months ago, the 10-minute Bible hour, Matt took on this whole chapter, and when he got to this one, he noted the similarities and asked the same question that I did. Why the seeming repetition? Citing those smarter-than-me people, he suggested there are hints from the context surrounding the story which suggest that this one, because he's talking to the disciples, is about the church rather than the world. Jesus is speaking to the guys who are about to go out with the good news into the world to spread it pell-mell, and he's telling them that as they go out and do that, they're going to encounter folks who will join the movement for varying reasons. Some will do so from a pure heart, wanting to follow God, and others are going to join in for less wholesome desires, maybe to make money or gain influence or who knows. Is Jesus telling the 12 who are sitting in this house with him to let God sort out true believers and false believers in the church? 
That seems a plausible enough explanation. It also suggests what the first parable, the parable of the sower did, just as the sower scattered seed far and wide so that some might land on the good soil and produce a harvest. The fishermen in the story cast their net wide so that those who will believe and follow might be brought in. We don't have to judge the world's response to the good news. We just spread the good news. The devil will keep some from believing. Still, we speak the word. Some will hang around till the going gets tough, and then they'll walk off. We keep spreading the seed. Some will choose the world over Jesus. We continue to spread the good news anyway. We do so because some of the seed that we spread will sprout and produce a harvest in the good soil of a believer's heart. And we don't have to sort out who's in and out or in between in the church either. God is going to do that. We just keep throwing out the net into the world, knowing that some who come in will be scoundrels and cause trouble, but trusting that some will be true followers who will bless the church. I am very thankful that I'm a part of a church with so many who choose to bless others and to follow God, aren't you? If you're not one of those and you're just tricking us, get right with God. Would anyone in Matthew's day have guessed that he'd be a Jesus follower? Going back to his story, he was a tax collector, remember? And he had all his friends were prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. And he caused quite a stir when he started following Jesus. None of them would have guessed that. Would anybody from his hometown have said that he was going to write a record of Jesus' life? which would be read for centuries after his death. Here we are, 2,000 years later, we're still reading this. I doubt even his closest friends would have foreseen it. So don't write off people around you. Spread the seed and see where it lands. If it lands on good soil, it's going to produce a harvest, good things. Don't try to decide if a neighbor is good kingdom material or not before you tell them the good news. Just tell them. Cast the net and let God bring those into the church that he wants to bring in. Someone, your mom, your dad, a friend, a neighbor, a Sunday school teacher, somebody spoke the word of God to you, didn't they? You heard the good news over and over, and then one day you believed, you trusted God for salvation, you received freedom from sin and forgiveness and power to live for God because your faith was in Jesus, and you received by faith that righteousness that makes you right before God, Someone did that for you, and you're invited now to be among God's seed spreaders, his net casters, and to draw other people in. There are good soil folks out there who are waiting for the seed to take root in them. There are good fish in your circles of friends, in your circle of relationship, which God is ready to draw into his church we pray for harvesters to be sent out into the right fields. We go because we are God's harvesters. God, increase your harvest. Isn't that our prayer? Increase your harvest in Pratt, Kansas, and wherever your good news is proclaimed. Will you pray now for the lost in your community? Will you ask God to produce a harvest and bring more and more people into his church? Can you trust him to change that bad, hard soil into good soil in the hearts of your family? and your friends, and draw people into fellowship with the king. The kingdom's near. It's right here, wherever God is ruling. And we want to invite people to come into that kingdom and to serve him. I want to encourage you to pray now as God leads you to pray for a harvest and for a God-sized 
catch. Let's pray. God, we pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done here on earth just the same as it is done perfectly in heaven. That you would accomplish in Pratt, Kansas, or wherever we are at any given moment, that you would accomplish here on earth exactly what you desire. That you would draw people to yourself. Give us opportunities this week to express your love in practical ways, but also to speak your good news. Pray that the seed that's scattered... The net that's cast would draw people to you. We know that Jesus, when he was lifted up, would draw all people to himself. And so we ask, God, that you would do that. Do that through your church. Help us to be faithful participants in the kingdom of God, completely submitted to Jesus, our King. Give us opportunities. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.